Hey everybody, welcome to the newest episode of Losing Your Mind with Chris Cosentino. I am sitting here in lovely North Beach at Jeremy's amazing new studio. Uh, and I'd like to introduce Jeremy Fish. Uh, he is the creator of the Jackrabbit logo, Coxcomb logo. Um, amazing art all throughout San Francisco and that crazy picture of my face with bicycle glasses and a pig sticking out of my head. Which I was quite proud of. It, I included every single thing on your list, <laughs> right? Yeah, you did. It's awesome. Welcome, Jeremy. Thanks for uh, thanks for taking some time out of your schedule. I know no you're problem. busy, man. Thanks for the visit, dude. This uh, your new studio is awesome. Thanks. I don't know how long I get to have it for, so I'm just trying to enjoy it as much as much as possible while I'm here. So, if I'm correct, you're from upstate New York, mm-hmm. right? And you moved here. In what year did you move here? 1994, 25 years ago, in, or yeah, 25 years ago this coming August. And you were a skater, just like myself. Mm-hmm. And when you moved here, were you moving here for the skateboarding, for school, for... Both. Um, at 19, I had to finish two more years of school. I got accepted to SVA in New York and the Boston Museum School in Boston and the San Francisco Art Institute here. And it was, you know, it's like the oldest art school on the West Coast and has this really illustrious history of, you know, Ansel Adams, Diego Rivera. It's a it's a fairly like prestigious all fine arts institution. Wasn't why I came here. You know, like it has this. <laughs> It was what I told my family, and it was a huge... I mean, I liked it better than the other two schools. I came to look at it and had this really magical weekend and just kind of fell in love with the place. And Tell I, me the truth. When you came out for that magical weekend, did you bring your skateboard? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Man, I was 19. My dad really wanted me to come to school here. He uh, he was released from the Navy here in the 60s and had always had kind of a special relationship with the city and really, I think, selfishly wanted to come visit me if I lived here. And so uh, he was really supportive about me moving here and we came out here together, which I didn't grow up with my dad and we didn't travel together very often and especially not as an adult. Um, But yeah, we came out here and had this really crazy weekend and it was pre cell phone. And I wound up going on this adventure, like skating with some old friends and having a drink with this girl that just like randomly showed me around my school that I knew from New York who was attending there. Um, and I wound up losing my dad and like not hanging out with him for a few days. And <laughs> when I came back to the hotel and it was kind of like this, you know, sorry, I wasn't around for a few. It was the first time he, we'd hung out as adults. And my dad told him where I'd been and what I've been doing. And my dad was like, that's it. It's fucking fate. You're supposed to move here. And you know, so I did. That's awesome. Yeah. Big so, thanks to my old man for making it happen. That's rad. And, and you, <clears throat> you graduated from the school and, and you've done skateboard graphics i mean what was what was the first company that you started with when you were doing that uh i got hired right out of school to work for print time which was the print screen printing shop that printed all the stuff for the northern california skateboard industry um thrasher juxtapose deluxe spitfire uh at that time we even printed some stuff for independent um basically all the skate brands that are from here except for santa cruz and uh, that was a dream come true. I'd studied screen printing in school. It was something I took primarily cause I knew I could get a job doing it and it had a practical application from a fine arts institution and I was good at it. And it like the way I draw kind of lent itself to screen printing. Um, I had learned about it from a guy in my hometown who had the contract job in the eighties for Ben and Jerry's. And, uh, we all learned how to screen print with him. And like, you know, I had one of those little speedball kits where I printed shirts for my friend in my basement. Um, and then I moved out here and while I was in school, I got a job working for a wallpaper company in the mission. It's a place called Winfield wallpaper that used to be on 23rd and Harrison. And primarily by the time I worked there, it had been a gigantic wallpaper manufacturer at some point in its history. But by the nineties, it had been whittled down to like replacing sections of damaged fancy wallpaper. If you had a casino or an old Victorian where there'd been a fire or someone threw up on your wallpaper or whatever, <clears throat> our job would be to make one or two rolls worth of, this wallpaper and then we'd have to print over it with treatments to make it look like it had been in a smoke filled casino or make it look like someone, you know, like it aged. Uh, And it was an incredibly valuable like work experience, especially I was getting paid $14 an hour while I was in school in the nineties in San Francisco. So I was like making good money. That's rad. Yeah. It was a hard job and it was toxic as fuck. And you couldn't just walk in there and learn how to do it. You kind of knew like it was difficult. I had to learn how to like, redraw sections of Victorian wall. And then there was a lot of dudes that worked there that were far better than me. And I learned a lot from them. Um, but those jobs kind of opened the doors to get the job in the skateboard industry. 
Um, they say all the time that when you're in art school, it's like the people you rub elbows with and the professors you become close with are the things that, you know, potentially can like change your trajectory as an artist or get you opportunities as you get out of school. Uh, I always tell people that when I was in school at the Art Institute, I didn't really spend any time there. I went to my classes and I got good grades and I took it really seriously, but I didn't interact socially. I meet people all the time that are like, I went there when you went there and they don't even look familiar to me. Uh, I legitimately spent my first three years in San Francisco skateboarding endlessly and spending time with my girlfriend occasionally and then going to school full time and having a full time job at or, or a part time job the whole time I was here. I mean, I had so many weird. I worked as a janitor at my school. Uh, I worked at Copeland Sports on Market Street for a long time. Um, and, you know, a bunch of other weird, odd jobs that I did so that I could be here. But I think all the experience that I got skateboarding around the city and the contacts I met and the friends I made was how I wound up staying here. Like I got out of school and I didn't know anybody from art school that was going to help get me a job. As a matter of fact, I might be the only person I graduated with that had a degree that could get a job because screen printing, like I said, is a very practical thing that still has a commercial industrial. Even to this day, you can still get a job doing it. Uh, and a kid that I skated with who lived two blocks away from me was the assistant manager of the print shop that did all the work for Deluxe and Thrasher and all that shit. His boss quit like a month after I graduated from school. And he called me at like 24 or 25 and had just gotten handed the entire print shop with like, you know, 50 employees. Um, yeah, I mean, it was a, a it was a 24 hour day operation. Like they ran 24 hours. Of, I mean, the, you know, the skateboard industry at that time was massive. They are making a huge profit off fucking boards and wheels. You know what I mean? Like yeah. t-shirts and soft goods are really where your profit margin is. And also where the volume was at that time. For sure. And you know, this is before Rihanna wore Thrasher. I mean, it's been popular since long before you and I lived in California. Let's be fair. And that shit kept the place running 24 hours a day. We do. We do uh, Thrasher Flame T-shirts, which is kind of an annoying job to register and set up. And it would print for days, like it would just be on the press through multiple day and night shifts because there was that many of them. I can't imagine the volume they print these days. Oh, it's got to be nuts. Um, but you know, like I said, they're looking right now just to kind of give everybody an idea. They're looking at at the space that we're standing in right now, going, "There used to be a bakery right here. No, it's next door. No, I think it's on the other corner. <laughs> no, you're wrong. It's right here." Um, <laughs> But yeah, I always tell that story because I think it's really valuable to young people these days to realize that like on some level, the recipe for art school can be a little bit dated. And I think today and I stole this advice from somebody I admire. Uh, if I were me today moving to San Francisco, I'd try and apprentice under get a part time job, apprentice under somebody or understudy under somebody you admire, work with somebody. Uh, the degree is only so valuable today. If I didn't get the practical work experience at the wallpaper company, I probably wouldn't have gotten the job in the skateboard industry. And I have no idea what I'd be doing today. That production job in the print shop, uh, slowly, but surely they started letting me do little illustration jobs. I did a thrasher t-shirt in like 97 or 98. And then they let me do a juxtapose poster, which is funny because my work had never been in the magazine before. Um, but you know, I oversaw all the printing and I think they were like, Oh, the printing guy's going to do a poster. At that time, Juxtapose was still pretty new. It came out the year I got here in 94. So by 97 or 98, not only was it not real popular, it was still pretty thin. Like it didn't have a lot of ads in it. It wasn't this giant art publication that it is today. Um, but I was really proud of that because I knew what it was and I knew all the artists in it and I admired all those people. And that since I had arrived here and started art school, it become kind of my Bible. So I think to get out of school and get a job working for the people that published that to me felt like I was going down the right road. And like I said, little by little doing those illustrations, uh, the people that owned High Speed and uh, the, the related skateboard brands uh, at some point brought me out of the print shop and put me into an art department. But I had zero design experience. I'd never used a computer. Uh, I didn't have a background in graphic design, not even kind of. Uh, I did have this commercial printing background, which theoretically is related to graphic design. And like you had to have a sense of color and know how to mix color and know how to overprint, you know, like. Like I had a background that was enough design oriented that I was able to get away with it. I slowly learned how to use a computer and I worked in that uh, art department for like five or six years um, after working in the print shop for almost five. So about a decade under the entire like skateboard industry umbrella. And that was the last full time job I had. Um, so to my point about like, you know, apprenticing under something you admire that you really want to do, like. I spent 10 years, you know, it takes, take, they say it takes 10 years to build a solid foundation to anything you want to go and do. 
Um, I graduated from school in San Francisco with a shitload of student loans. I worked really hard in the skateboard industry for just about 10 years. The biggest mistake was that I didn't buy a house in the 90s because I didn't think I was going to stay here. I paid off all those student loans. So before I turned 30, all the money I borrowed to move here and get that education was paid. Uh, and, you know, I did it working in a sport that made me move here. I mean, it's a very sort of full circle story about that's why, like, all the guys that work for those companies always ask me to tell it because it is one of those like skateboarding isn't just for like dudes to move out here, get hurt and move home and tell stories about it. You know, like I moved out here, I got hurt and I tell stories about it. But I also worked for those guys for a decade and changed my whole life and my career trajectory because of uh, Eric Swenson, Fausto Vitello, Dustin Wengreen, uh, Jim Thibault. Uh, Keith Cochran, like all the dudes that run and own those companies, I'm still quite respectful and thankful to them because I have no idea what the fuck I'd be doing. I certainly wouldn't be printing wallpaper because that company is gone and there's a condo <laughs> there. I mean, like, uh, so yeah, I'm grateful to all of those opportunities, but the skateboard industry for sure changed my entire world. I think the skateboarding changed a lot of people's lives. You know, yeah, in no, a very, the, very the positive sport way. had done it long since by then, but the industry locally for sure. Just for like, you. Yeah. For sure. I have no idea as far as a job goes. I'd probably be back to being a busboy. I could use or one of those Or working at right Copeland now. Sports. Oh, wait. They're gone, <laughs> gone too. <laughs> <laughs> so I remember when I moved here in, in 1996, you know, um, I'd moved from Washington, D.C., totally overwhelmed by the city. And I'd be walking around and I was seeing these bright pink SPB stickers everywhere or a spray paint on the sidewalk. And I had no clue, but I just kept seeing them everywhere, just trying to seek out what it was. So, I mean, that was you. Yeah. Well, I had help. Of course. Yes. I mean, you know, it's not, it's not a lonely, not, not an independent way of getting the messaging out there, but you, it was a really, it stood out, you know? And, and, you know, I feel really like it was such an eye opener for me once I finally started seeing what you were doing more of from that, that like opened my eyes. And, and when, let's be honest, before in, everybody had access to the internet and all that stuff, I mean, it was really hard to find stuff, right? You really had to search it out. Yeah. Right. And you were setting a tone for San Francisco for somebody who was not born here. This is your adopted city. This is your home. Mm -hmm. Like you, you do so much for the city in so many ways, whether it's being residents at Koi Tower or residents, you know, downtown at, at, uh, at the city, know, hall. city hall. I mean, you've done so much, you know, and I think it's, it's a really incredible thing that in, and your, your visuals of the city in so many different ways, you know, we're a city built on ships and, you know, where hearts are left and, I have so many great memories of going to your shows and, and showing up and being able for you and I to talk and, and see all your pieces, the bar with all the different characters that you created. I've seen so many different shows that you've put on over the years. You've inspired so many people through your art. I mean, how does that feel on your end being that individual who's inspiring a whole other generation to love where they live and to really embrace those things? I think really it's carrying a torch that somebody had lit before I showed up. Like there were great artists here that made me want to move here. And like, I, I think I made it sound in the initial part of this, that it was just about skateboarding. There was a uh, burgeoning art scene, including juxtapose that was starting here. That really was attractive to me. And I think to have come here and gotten education and got out and been able to perpetuate a sport that I really liked and let that sort of take my artwork down another lane. And then to get out of there. And by then, this early dot-com stuff had started to happen. So there was a bunch of young people spending money irresponsibly and that helped my like fine art career start. You know, like people were buying stuff in galleries cause they had young money and they didn't know what to do with it. And then from there, the weed industry started to grow and those guys started to invest in what I was doing. And so there's this big recipe for the fact that this is my job and none of it is really that I arrived here very good at it. You know, like the silly pink bunny stuff that you were talking about recognizable as it may have been is mostly cause I wasn't very good at it. Like, I've always loved graffiti and I did it a lot as a young man, but I was terrible at it. And part of the reason that I started doing the silly pink bunny thing so much when I got here is that, uh, I moved here by myself and I felt overwhelmed by the fact that there was like crews of dudes and like gangs of graffiti guys. And it was like groups of, and you know, the silly pink bunny was like my gang from my hometown that when I left to move here, there was like eight of nine of us, I think. And so I tried to use it as this larger than I am 
sort of like make it sound like there's more of us than just me. And, you know, as I was making friends here and inviting them to be part of this thing that wasn't something, it was growing. But I think to have started off with such minimal talent goal, I wasn't hyper-motivated. I wasn't trying to become a big deal. I wasn't, I don't know, I didn't see any potential with what I was doing. I was just kind of happy to be here and happy to, like, like play, have partake in the conversation that was, like, I hate using the term street art, but it was sort of the early stages of that here. Not that there wasn't graffiti here, but the conversation of like stickers and stencils and wheat paste, which is what I started doing more of because I was better at it. Uh, and I could also do more with it because I worked in a print shop. You know, I could print my own stickers and I could print my own posters. And and really, I was quite good at that. And so the stencil thing I did as well, but only on the ground because I found it was something nobody wrote over top of it or crossed me out. <laughs> and like, you can't not look at the ground. And I made this funny briefcase that like I could carry around and set down on the ground and make it look like I was tying my shoe and do one in broad daylight. Um, there's a funny video of it somewhere on YouTube from like the early, like 2002 or three or something where I like would walk around downtown in a business suit and just like stop and drop and like put stencils right up around people in the financial district. And they didn't know what I was doing. Um, and again, when you see it now, it looks really corny because street art's this big thing. But at that time it was very innocent. I wasn't trying to be famous for it. It was like pretty pre-internet. It was just something I did because it was something I wanted to be into because I admired it. And the guys that did it before me, to the point of what you said, really inspired me to want to partake in that conversation and give back to a thing that made me want to move here. Like I just, in general, I was happy to do skateboard graphics and work in that industry because it made me who I was and I was giving back to it in the same vein uh, to be at this age and make art about whatever the fuck I want. When I show here, I make it about this city a, because right now it's going through a huge transition. It's a crazy place to be living. And B, I was raised to be grateful for the things that change your life. And that sport, that job, this city in particular, changed my life dramatically. If I had stayed in New York and gone to SVA, or if I'd gone to Boston and gone to the museum school, I'd have wound up right back where I grew up doing some job I hate. And college would have been nothing more than like borrowed money and memories. And this city because of skateboarding maybe because of my timing maybe maybe i just got lucky but man it like took me under its wing handed me all these incredible opportunities and granted you know if i didn't jump through the hoop or do the work i wouldn't be anywhere i worked really 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 hard it cost me relationships friends experiences where i would have been out enjoying my city and instead i was holed up inside for fucking ridiculous amounts of hours quite possibly growing a brain aneurysm while i worked myself into a frenzy in my 20s and 30s but once it got going, I felt a debt of obligation because here I was getting opportunities I never would have expected. And if I had taken the day off and gone to the concert or, you know, gone on the date or gone on whatever I was supposed to do in my 20s and 30s, none of this would have ever happened. Or at least that's what I told myself as I worked until three in the morning and had to be up to go back to work at 7 a.m. Like it is one thing to have the opportunities and to have the city look out for you and kick doors open. It's another thing if you don't take advantage of it and work your fucking ass off. And I think the amount of work I do about this city is a combination of I worked really fucking hard and sacrificed an awful lot to still be here drawing pictures in America's most expensive city 25 years later. It would be stupid for me to not respect that uh, and respect the city that made it all happen. And to put that on, oh, I worked really hard. No, oh, I got lucky. Yeah, both. But San Francisco's looked out for me. And at a time where everybody's packing up and moving away and talking about it like that ex-girlfriend that did you wrong, it's like, no, it didn't work out. It's going through a lot of transition and it's incredibly difficult to still be here. And man, I'm going to enjoy it as much as I possibly can till the day it's time for me to leave. And when I do, I'll have nothing negative to say in hindsight. I'll walk away and give it a big hug. Be like, that was the greatest experience of my life. Thanks for the memories and all the opportunity, you know? You have done so many collaborations with so many different companies, restaurants. I mean, you, you negotiated with multiple different restaurants in North Beach, right? To do artwork and there's a huge mural down at, at Tony's and you did Naked Lunch. You've done a lot of uh, graphics for our restaurant group. And that's been a really awesome, for me, it's been nothing but fun and, and a great time where we can talk about it. But it's also fun when you get to come to the restaurant. For me, at least to be able to feed you and have fun with it. And our staff gets all excited when you come there and you know, I got the young, younger generation of cooks who are looking at you like, man, I see all his t-shirts at Upper Playground. He's super cool. 
And it's like, how does that, how did that all start? Like you started with one and it just snowballed or like, I mean, I remember when I asked you, are you interested in doing this? And, you know, I was like, I love your stuff. I have tons of your prints and I've been, you know, buying from you for years because I wholeheartedly believe in what you're doing and I love your graphics. I mean, I even have where hearts are left on my arm and, um, I think that that's a really interesting road that you went down because you've done beer graphics, you've done stuff with Volkswagen, you know, it, it, do you have a favorite direction that you've gone over the years? Restaurants. I think that, um, I don't know, like I worked in, I came from a really tourist driven city in upstate New York that, you know, it's the oldest continuous running horse racing track and it's crooked and sketchy and Meyer Lansky and Dutch Schultz invested in it to make it is what it is today. And like, you know, they say it's the San Pellegrino of America, like Saratoga Springs has like one of the finest bottled waters in America. And like it, you know, the only job you can get as a teenager, I, you know, I had a paper route when I was 12 and at 13, you can get permitted to start working in restaurants. And I worked in them from 13 until I moved here. Like, it's just what you can, I mean, I had a retail job. I worked at the skate park where I grew up. I parked cars for the racetrack, but primarily, and especially in the winter months, you work in fucking restaurants. And I think that very early on, I learned that, you know, visual art affects people one way, music affects people one way. Food and the art of really well-prepared food, that's like, it's a it's an art that you can't live without. I mean, like, you can live without a cool t-shirt. You can live without another good song. You can't really not eat. And so I think the fact that that art form is mandatory for human existence, it affects all of us very differently. And because that's a huge part of my background, and like I said earlier, what I thought was going to be my future. Like I thought art school was like a pause in the restaurant industry for me. And I'm not a cook. Like I'm not even, I didn't even want to be a chef. I wasn't qualified. I was a prep cook for a, a summer when I broke my wrist and couldn't be a busboy. But like, you know, I learned then I wasn't cut out for it. So Talk about a talk about a change. Okay, you can't carry the plates, but give the kid with a broken wrist a knife. The people that owned the <laughs> restaurant were really sweet to me, and the guy was an old skater, so he was pretty reasonable about it. That's pretty cool. Um, but anyway, yeah, like it just I have always had a great respect for it because it sort of was my background and the one of the lifebloods of my hometown, the service industry and restaurants in particular. I just like it and I like the way it affects people. And so really early in my career, like the first time I got to do something for a restaurant, I was geeked because that's a level of communication that my drawings don't normally get to have. And to make a relationship when people are also already sweet on somebody's food, you know, like I do it because I like getting free food. Uh, but that isn't really the main motivation to do it, nor was it from the very beginning. Like Tony, Gem and Johnny from Tony's Pizza was one of the first ones. Not the first time a restaurant had inquired with me to, you know, draw something or get paid to do something. But Tony's was like, you know, he's opening next door to my house. And so I went and looked him up on the computer and I was like, oh, fuck. This guy at that time, he was like the eight or nine time world champion. And like one of the only Americans to go to Italy and get asked to stop competing kind of guy. Yeah, the pizza, the and, pizza thrower extraordinaire. Yeah. <clears throat> well, but also the chef, not just for chucking it around. Oh, yeah. Was like he was early in his career. By the talented. time he opened next door to me, he had already gone to Italy and won like for his food, not just because he could throw a, oh, a yeah. pizza. And so I went door. I, I had never at this point like really rang a doorbell like this, but I went next door and was like, Hey, like I live next door and you're incredible. Like here's some copies of my books. Like if you need any artwork for the business, I would love to do it. And he wasn't interested. I don't think he had, he was trying to fucking open his first restaurant. Like he was concentrating on that. And I think somebody in his empire uh, knew who I was and saw the book. And they were like, Oh shit. Like that guy's sick. He does, you know, he lives in the neighborhood, work with him. And I could tell he wasn't really that excited because, like, I didn't want to ask him for any money. And I was like, ah, you know, how about I make the mural and you'll feed me for, you know, whatever. With him, it wasn't free food for life yet because, I don't know, like, I didn't know if this was going to work. And then it started to grow. Like, other people in the neighborhood heard about it. And then as something would open, I'd do it. And uh, at that age, I was trying to, like, minimize my expenses. But more importantly than just, like, save money on eating, you can't pay for the relationship I make with these dudes. Like, Tony made the food for my wedding. And, like... Tony's one of my really good friends in this neighborhood. We see each other almost every day. I'm like, yeah, I have a different job than him and it's, I'm much lazier and it's much weirder, but like he respects what I do and we appreciate what each other are bringing to a neighborhood that's in a weird spot. And all the other uh, bar and restaurant owners in the neighborhood, I do those relationships 
Same with you. Doesn't have to just be in this neighborhood. I work for businesses all over San Francisco. I won't normally do it for free if you're not in you know, walking distance from my house, but like I do artwork for a ton of restaurants in this city for twofold. One, you get a relationship with that restaurant you can't pay for. I can go there. I've texted you and you're halfway around the world. And I'm like, man, I a friend in town, they're dying to try your place. Like, can I get it in 10 minutes? And you'll text somebody and I do. And that's why I'm doing it. It's like the mutual love and appreciation over something that human beings really, really, really appreciate much more than visual art. And then I get to have visual art associated with that feeling. Like, oh, I love Chris Cosentino. He has this thing that I can't, I just, oh my God, every time we go there, ugh. And then like, yeah, and I see your shit in the bathroom and I post about it on the internet while I'm digesting his food. You know, like <laughs> that's a nice role for me to play in that scenario. And to have that all over the city, it's, you know, the number of people that have learned about my art because of eating in those places is a lot. But the number of people that associate me with that feeling of eating somewhere and having a love for that restaurant, that's an incredible way for them to think about my art. It's better than a picture frame. It's like it's attached to the memory of feeling good about someone's food. And I, I just really like that. That's awesome. Did you, when you were doing City Hall or, or Coy Tower, did you have a one that you preferred more? I mean, you, you did, there's to, of course, they're totally different experiences, but I mean, you were, you were, I mean, there's a Jeremy Fish day, right? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I like them both for different reasons and I don't think I have a favorite because the best residency hasn't happened yet. I didn't realize when uh, the Arts Commission came to me about the City Hall thing. It was City Hall's 100th birthday, and Meg Schiffler from the, the San Francisco Arts Commission had this idea to get me to do uh, 100 drawings in 100 days to celebrate the 100th anniversary of the building, which sounds incredible, but it's an enormous amount of work. Oh, yeah. And it's kind of hard to do. I mean, it's not like, who the fuck works 100 days in a row? And it's not like I'm going to bang out three and take two days off, you know? <laughs> uh, so I agreed, but I was like, yeah, I mean... There's a paycheck involved and that's civic money for drawing pictures. That's an honor. Like the whole thing was an honor. I work kind of outside of the parameters of like, you know, formal art community. And so for them to reach out to me with civic money for a project that was such a big, it was as civic as it gets. Like, you know, it was at a time where our city was being finger quotes by the negatives invaded by these young, <laughs> you know, intelligent young people who were moving here to get these jobs and work in tech and change the face of our city. And I thought instead of, you know, just putting blinders up and drawing city hall. Like what could I do to get these younger people to engage in something as beautiful as their city hall or, you know, as cool as Koi tower. And coincidentally, those are both done by the same architect that did my, uh, San Francisco art Institute, Albert Brown did all three structures. Um, and so I think for me, it's shit like that. Like, could I get, you know, they were giving me a lot of public advertising. There was kiosks on market street with these drawings and like things that I thought ads on the buses. Like if I thought if I could draw something just simple enough, that was about city hall, but also just like, you know, like a lot of these things, put some animals in there, put some stuff that's eye catching and holds your attention and makes you wonder why that's connected. And why did I meld those two things together? And if I could find a handful of those that would draw in some rando dude that just moved here to work at Twitter while he's walking to work, maybe he would stop and be like, Oh, what the fuck is that? And he's like, Oh, the arts commission. Oh, city hall. Oh shit. They're throwing a party. I'll go, you know? And that was really the motivator on that. And it was a great project. I was really proud to do it but I made them give me an office at city hall cause it was too much work for just to sit at my house and not authentic. I was like, I need a workspace and you have to publish it because no one goes to an art show to look at a hundred things and remembers any of it. It's just too much to digest. And you know, that's an awful lot of work for me to do for it to all wind up in a box somewhere. So they agreed, they got Chronicle to publish a book and they let me have an office. And it's those same kind of like, it's like the restaurant negotiations. Like, like I, this is a weird job and I don't get paid a lot and I'm not going to retire here and I'm not going to ever get rich doing it, but I can live a really rich life here because it does give me a cool negotiating chip. And I think at this point people know it when they hit me up and I know with Meg, she liked it. Like she liked the fact that they're like, here's our offer. And I came back and I was like, your offer's no good. I want an office and I want a publishing deal. <laughs> and I did it like that because it sounds really dramatic, but those aren't, I mean, they weren't huge asks compared to doing a hundred drawings in a hundred days. No. Um, so I walked away from that with further knowledge that the, really the way to enjoy living here at a time where I could barely afford it is to make these weird deals and these weird relationships. And city hall made me think there's a series of residencies that were out there just waiting to be had that, you know, I was the first and probably last ever resident artist in residence at city hall. No one wants to do that. Like they put me in a storage closet. <laughs> I saw your, it wasn't closet. glamorous, you know, like, and, 
but to me, it sounds like it, it, it was actually the memory of it was incredible. I had full access to the entire building, including the, the dome and the nipple. And like, you know, I could stay, I could stay there all night and walk around. The security guards all knew me. It was wonderful. Something I'll never forget. But it reminded me that these situations, A, are going to land in your lap sometimes, but sometimes you just have to build them. And so Coit Tower was that. My neighbors run the gift shop at Coit Tower, uh, Jimmy and Marty Shine, that run Shine and Shine Maps on Grand Avenue. And they, like I said to them, I was like, Who are, who's in charge? And there's this wonderful group of folks that are in charge of the, the place. And they agreed to let me do this residency in what was the caretaker's apartment inside, which they now use as a break room for the employees. But the kitchen in the break room uh, at the time was like, the, you know, they gutted it. There's no stove or sink or anything. Uh, and they let me have that room as a studio. And also, again, much like City Hall, have access to come and go and have access to hike the stairs and go anywhere. And they come after hours and be there at night. Um, they were wonderful to me because I offered them all the artwork from the project to be used as T-shirts and screen prints for sale in their gift shop for free. Like, I'll give you guys. And they didn't, you know, there was no budget for that one. That was just an opportunity I wanted to make happen because... Who the fuck gets to spend all their time in the fucking old man's apartment inside Coit Tower? Like the myth and legend of it for me. I still bump into people in bars in the city that are like, hey, man, do you still live in Coit Tower? And I'm like, "Nah, I moved out. Like, I don't even deny that I live. Like, I didn't live in there. You know, I never spent the night. Uh, but I'm not going to say I didn't. You know what I mean? Like the myth and legend of that guy lived in Coit Tower for a while. Fuck off. That's incredible. And it's Love those it. kind of things that are paying my rent here right now, like mentally. You know what I mean? Like, I don't care how crazy or scary or whatever it's becoming here these days, like to still be able to negotiate those kind of weird situations is just like, and I can't exactly say what, but the Coit tower thing may have kicked open this other residency that may happen in the next year or two. And I'm trying to negotiate one with the cable car guys as well. And like, Oh, cool. Some shit that's just like, look, man, you know, I'm not going to get rich doing this job, but I am fully going to live the richest life in this city possible until I have to leave. Cause It'd be dumb to have invested 25 years and not enjoy it at this stage, you know? I mean, you've traveled around, you know, you did uh, a whole event in Italy with uh, the scooter folks. What is it? Pi Piaggio? Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it's just, you've been able to do so many fun things. You've really turned it into following your dreams and things that you like that you believe in. Uh, you even did some work with the cannabis industry, which has been, I think, super fun and approachable. And I really love the fact that you're staying true to who you are. You're staying true to the art, but it's also at the same time, you're enjoying the ride. Like you keep mentioning, you want it to be fruitful, not just financially, but also mentally. And I think that that's a big, big part of, of what excites so many people about what you're doing is you've made it be not only just a way to make a living, but a way to be, enjoying every moment of making that living it's like you don't wake up and go oh gotta do a drawing today you know there are people in life who wake up in that in the morning right how many times have you seen people like drudgery i gotta go to work like you you love it and and that's the inspiration that you bring to so many out there i have so many people approach me like i just did a photo shoot the other day and i had um this, the, the limited edition silver, the gold heart with wings, you know, uh, shirt. And somebody's like, dude, where'd you get that? That's super cool. And it's like, you know, city of San Francisco where hearts are left. And they totally, it resonated with them. And the, and the, the shirts have always created conversation or the logos or when people come to my house or like you said, the wallpaper in the bathrooms or the pieces upstairs. It's a really, for me, it's a fun conversation to have with people and direct them towards you or upper playground where they can get a graphic shirt that they can wear around. But it's, it's exciting to see the response from people. You give a memory to folks, you give a visual memory, whereas my choice in life is to give a taste memory. Yeah. And mine's very irresponsible. Like it was not a, it's not a, uh, I'm not organized or a good enough businessman that it's a really smart thing to chase this dream as hard as I do. But I also figure I have very low casualty rate. I, I'm as, I am not married. I have no children. It's just me and like a semi fucked up cat. And, you know, my landlord and his family take really good care of me. My neighbors and my neighborhood take really good care of me. But without all these things, I think there's this illusion sometimes that people have where they're like, man, I see your name on everything. And it's like, 
Yeah, but man, I'm not even kind of rich. I'm just like getting by because this is, like it or not, America's most expensive city by one third more than Manhattan. And you can look that shit up because people always think I'm making it up when I say it. That's a fact. And like, you know, I came from during the fecal face, which was this website which featured the art scene 10, 15 years ago. John Tripp uh, was the guy behind it. During that era, there were hundreds of people in this art scene. Now they all live somewhere else and not all, but most. And it's who's uh, left in the city. We were talking oh, about that the people. other day. I hate making this list. Cause I always leave somebody off, but yeah, like, but there's, it, there's it's, tons, tons and tons and tons, but <clears throat> it's dwindling. It's, I won't even go that far. I think it's leveled out. I think that there aren't new younger artists moving here as much as they used to. Cause it's too intimidating, not entirely. And not to say not at all. There's lots of kids probably coming for school with loans and this and that. But like the average young artist that just moved here out of nowhere to strike out and try and have a career. Uh, there just aren't as many opportunities here as there once was. The cost of living defeats it. And there's a lot of reasons it would be tip tricky. Now, it's not to say I don't ever meet them. I do. But I don't feel like they're moving here in the volume that they were. I use the fecal face thing as a as a as a reference because it was like as the city started to get expensive. But that website showcase such a cool scene that people wanted to be a part of you know at the same time that this city juxtaposed was growing and there was just a lot the world was looking at this city for art at that time and a lot of artists moved here as a result to be part of that i don't see that still happening and that breaks my heart it's not necessarily just that artists are moving away there's a lot of reasons for that people get older they want to have children they want to have a different lifestyle they don't want to live in a city full of crazy people like you know some people evolve and move on for a long list of reasons it's really heartbreaking for me that it's not still the thriving art nugget that it was back then because it's just a difficult place to kickstart your career. And um, not to say there aren't thousands and thousands and thousands of great successful artists who still call this home and contribute and make it a better place for everybody else. But I just I wonder if that scene is still growing as rapidly as it once was, which would be the biggest tragedy. What has been your most fun collab? I mean, I've I've. You know, let's let let me. I, I've seen so many of them. I feel fortunate enough to have seen a lot of them. I mean, your Santa Cruz bearded skateboard, which I think is awesome. Um, you've done. You were just out in uh, Colorado doing an event with uh, Mike Giant, correct? Yeah. Um, that was really looked super cool. And you've done, you know, Adidas, correct? Uh, I mean, there's so many. Like, is there one that stands out to you that you never thought would happen that happened that you had such a good time with? Uh, I got to design a scooter just recently with Piaggio uh, that it's not commercially produced, but they, they have a vehicle in Italy called the Ape, which is like a three-wheeled uh, Vespa truck that they don't make in the U.S., and I'm obsessed with them. And I thought for some reason if I designed one, they'd somehow ship it over here and I'd get to drive it even though they're illegal. Uh, and I'm still in the works on that. That would probably be a second place to, I don't, it's either first or second. I really, 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 really was proud of that. I've been obsessed with that vehicle since my first trip to Italy. And uh, the fact that I have one that looks like an owl, like I made the whole vehicle look like an owl. Uh, like the, when the doors open, they look a little bit like wings and it's it's pretty beautiful thing. I don't think they're going to ship it over here. <laughs> um, but I've been telling this story a lot lately because I forgot about it. And in terms of collaborations, I think it's the one that's like a weird... There's been a lot of funny ones, you know, like I've, I've done a lot of stuff I never would have imagined to do, but, uh, years ago I was working on a toy and the production manager was in the factory overseas and he happened to tell me, he's like, oh man, you wouldn't believe this, but like right behind me is this giant pile of dildos. And I was like, what? And he was like, oh yeah, like they make all this shit in the same factory. He's like, your, you know, your toy is being made right, right next to these, you know, molded dildos of some sort. And I was like, no way, that's fucking rad. But then it, <laughs> I just couldn't stop thinking about it. And I was like, oh, that's insane. Like, it could all be in one. You know, it could be a vinyl toy and a vibrator. And I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> but now this was poorly planned and a very, like, male-centric, dumb move. I should have really thought about what I was doing at this stage. It was very, very, very dumb. I should have also consulted with lots of different women. And instead, I just designed and made this absolutely ridiculous little uh bury the beaver it's like a little beaver standing on a tree stump which is also a vibrator uh, i remember this and at the time i really didn't think anything about it that's how you know you've lived in san francisco a long time when the idea of a beaver 
shaped vibrator standing on a tree stump seemed like a good idea. Uh, so yeah, it got made and it came out and the, like toy vinyl toy nerd forum board kind of thing. Like people flipped out and they were like, fuck him. This is uncool. Like this is in a toy store next to real toys. Like what the fuck? This is inappropriate and it's not safe and it wasn't tested and it's complete. And I was like, Oh man, you're on fucking done. This was so stupid. Like why the fuck didn't you think more about it? I just was thought in the pure interest of like I was saying about how food like is an art that affects people. Well, sexual pleasure is also a way that my visual art doesn't. I was going to fucking grab a print and jam it in themselves or, you know, <laughs> wrap it around themselves or whatever. Like, it's just not a way. I mean, you can cause arousal with sexy drawings, but I don't draw sexy very well. So, you know, this was my one opportunity to draw <laughs> sexy and I fucking blew it. People were furious and I was embarrassed and almost couldn't stand next to the thing. I was so bummed. Then the best thing ever, uh, the lady that owns good vibrations or did at the time, this lady, Dakota, uh, she got mad and she saw it and thought it was incredible. And she stepped up and bought all of them and made it exclusively available from good vibrations. And then went on all the forum boards and was like, you fucking nerds. Like no one had any right to say any of the things they said. This thing works perfectly fine. It's been tested. It's completely safe. And now we have all of them and they're exclusively available from the biggest, uh, you know, sexual pleasure enterprise in America at the time. I don't know if good vibrations still is, but at that time it was one of the biggest chains for that kind of stuff presented in a respectful, like educational, safe, cool way. And they threw a big motherfucking party for Barry and had sushi. <laughs> <laughs> and me and my, my long-term buddy Rick went down there and spent the day with all these wonderful people who were so receptive and people brought bought them and had me sign the box. And it was just, like I said, it's like a way that I don't want to make art that a rich guy buys and goes and hangs in his house and one person gets to enjoy it and it's him because he could afford it. And that's a stupid thing for me to say out loud because I would like rich guys to buy my art and put it in their house. You hear that rich guys. But at the end of the day, you know, every time you sit down to make a meal, imagine if you made one pork chop that one guy that could afford your pork chop got to eat or with the same amount of time you spent to prepare that one pork chop, you've made something that went out in the world and affected lots of people in a far different way. And I don't know. It's like a, some kind of boomerang pork chop that you throw around the world and everybody jumps up in the air and gets one bite out of it. It's impossible. But I'm just saying like, like if I can take an, uh, the day that I spent drawing Barry the Beaver, which it, literally I did it in a day, sent it off to some production guy. They molded it. I made a couple changes. They approved it. And the next thing, you know, the lady that owns good vibrations was like on forum boards calling people nerds because they didn't like it. I mean, it was just a really weird trajectory. And that's my point is like, you never know when you work outside the traditional realm of like paint it and hang it up. Um, I've been fortunate enough to be an artist in an era where I can apply it to a lot of different things. And I'm sure there's mostly people in the fine art realm that really look down their nose at what I'm doing, but I'm not motivated by fame. I'm not motivated by finance. I'm legitimately trying to have some kind of conversation with the audience that's paying attention to what I'm doing in a way that affects them differently as frequently as I can. And whether that's like a sexual stimulator or a fucking drawing on the plate of the best pork chop you ever had. Like I'm trying to interface with people in a non-traditional way because it's rewarding to me selfishly. I like affecting people differently with my art than just it's hanging on the wall and that's bitching, you know? And I, and I really plan to continue doing that for as long as people let me get away with it because I feel like it's a special way for my art to connect with human beings. Excuse me. The other day, you just did a wallpaper series with all of the San Francisco landmarks, right? And we just, we got that and we're going to be installing that at the restaurant at Coxcomb. We had a woman riding in the elevator the other day and the elevator was just white inside, right? You have an elevator? Yeah, we have an elevator at the restaurant. That. Yeah. And she was saying, and, I, and you know, it's one of those where you have to go oh, up with yeah. your, it's, it's an ADA thing. ADA. So we're, I'm going up in it with her and she said, wow, this is really boring in here. And that conversation, like. Call my elevator boring. It's I was rude. like, <laughs> no, but I, I started to think about it. It's like everywhere else in the restaurant is stimulating, yeah. whether it's sound, music, visually, there's art, there's pieces up, there's stuff going on. There's a view. <laughs> there's a view. And then you're in this elevator and it's just white and you're just going up. And it's like, so we have 
the new wallpaper going up in there. And then we're going to do some, there's a, we're going to do some stuff on the doors and, and really it, it spawned a conversation. Like you're saying, I want people to feel welcome and good in every aspect where they are. And I think, you know, like, like the restrooms, you know, you built that wallpaper for us and we lined the walls and there's so many pictures of the wallpaper on the, on the internet people. Like they literally go in the bathroom. I'm like, are you going in the bathroom or are you taking a picture in the bathroom? Like, what are you doing? Like rule number one, never take pictures of yourself in the bathroom. It's not a good idea, but every day. Well, and that wallpaper is cool. Uh, unlike the one we had printed professionally, that'll be in your, uh, elevator. The make your own wallpaper with Kinko's photocopies is yeah. a genius recipe because, uh, my friends at naked lunch who just closed last weekend, that was, uh, I used it in there as well. Or, uh, my ex and I did, <coughs> excuse me. And it's like graffiti proof. Like someone ruins it or fucks part of it up and you, you can just like put, another put one six up. or seven pieces over it. And there's no way to tell. We had somebody the other day actually try to peel the wallpaper out of the bathroom to take a piece. Of, we had somebody the other day try to steal one of your prints off the wall and we have them mounted and locked on the wall. So they started tearing apart the frame. To try God, to get the damn. art out, and it's you got to like, be wasted. I mean, you got to be so hammered to think that's a and good idea. And it's like I've even like told like you, there's a link on our website to get to your site and where to buy prints and how to get to Upper Playground. And it's just like, dude, don't take stuff off the wall. Like, do it. Do it. Why do people feel like that's okay? You know. But I think because they're hammered. I mean, who? I don't think anybody walked in there and just sat for a pork chop, got up and was like, I'm stealing that print. You know, like, <laughs> Who thinks that that's okay? It's, it's, it's amazing. Like you people come out and they're just like, that's Jeremy fish wallpaper. I'm like, yeah, I know. And then they start walking around and looking at everything and they get, they get pumped. And I mean, my goal with Coxcomb was to be about San Francisco, right? Celebrate the history. Everybody came here during Barbary coast. They brought with them their culture, their food. They sank their ships, went for gold. It was, everybody was an immigrant, right? And there was no like, okay, you know what? You're an Irish immigrant and you can't go, you can't go mine for gold. No, it didn't matter. You had two hands, you had the strength with a shovel and you had enough money to buy the shovel. So you, it's your chance. And I think that is what for me now is all about celebrating that history in the restaurant. That's why your art's there because you're a part of this fabric of San Francisco and it's really celebrating the city for what it is. Celebrate the neighborhoods. You know, that's why some dishes are Chinese, some are Italian, some are Portuguese, some are French, some are English. Gin was the first spirit. And that's why my whole goal was to have you do our logo. Like that rooster on the plate has become, you know, everybody wants a rooster hat. It's kind of funny. <laughs> it's got to be a way to do that where it wouldn't be a goofy thing to wear, you know? Maybe like a beanie that's got a ripple in it or something like that. Yeah, that's that. Well, we got our five-year anniversary coming up this December. So I wanted to talk to you about why we're here. If, if you know, I can commission you to do a five-year new piece of work. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I want to do like farmer's market bag, like the flat print bags. And I think we're going to change our hat this year. It's been pretty signature. The rooster hat. The rooster. To maybe we do a rooster hat, but it's time it's time to do that. And we're going to do a t-shirt this year. I think it's the year to do it. So I've got a good idea. You do. Yeah. I love it. You know, those like strange brew. Like I, I believe in Canada, they call them a toque. A toque. Yeah. It's a like uh, instead of a beanie, there's those kind of squared off, like, like what Doug and Bob McKenzie wear in strange brew. It's yeah. like a, it's like a taller, thicker beanie. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, they're, they go. And it kind of at the top, it's like a little bit shaped like a house. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's yeah, like yeah, yeah. I think a rooster beanie, like if you wore that because it's tall and you just had your logo or coxcomb embroidered into the side, that would be a sick fifth anniversary hat. You're thinking like the old ski hats yes. that came up. Yes. And yeah, like yeah. You're, you're thinking like uh, like the, the, the Mare Brothers, they would wear those yeah. hats that look like triangles at the top. Well, because without having a hat with like a dorky, you know, like actual coxcomb. Like oh, a rooster the, thing on the you'd top. You'd look like a ding dong. But if you're wearing a fucking red ski hat from the 80s that just says coxcomb on the side, I think it's kind of obvious. It's like, oh shit, a red thing sticking up. <laughs> That's genius. It's like, uh, it's like, you know, nudging towards a, a yeah. an actual coxcomb. Like a like a little mohawk, yeah, mohawk hat. 80s ski hat manufacturer, check. <laughs> you're listening out there. <laughs> Make the call you're now. Ready. <laughs> manufacturer of the 1980 Winter Olympic toque. <laughs> Please contact us. 
We're ready to move forward. We're not making Lake Placid hats this year, unfortunately. No. So what's next, Jeremy? What are you What are you working on next? What's your next thing that we should uh, you're looking forward to, and uh, everybody should be looking out for? Um, I'm supposed to go to China in two weeks to paint murals with Andy Jenkins and Andy Howell, but I may not go because China's weird and the visa's difficult to get. And that's the next thing I have to do. Like when we get out of here, I got to go figure out if I'm even going to go. Uh, but that isn't really anything we need to tell the world because I don't think anybody's going to really go to China to check that out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you won't see it on the internet because the fucking Chinese are weird about letting you use your cell phone in their country. Uh, so yeah. like you may not see me post about it, but I'll be in China with two guys I really looked up to when I was younger that I'm sure you did too. Oh, Andy Howell, man. Yeah. I Andy to Jenkins skate. too. I mean, come on. Yeah. Both those wrench pilot was the shit and still is. Andy's drawings are amazing. So that's next. Uh, in September, I go to Rome uh, to participate in the Ginica Festival. It's like an urban uh, arts festival. And they're going to do a big booth of my stuff. And then that gets transferred into an art gallery in Rome. And I'll be there for a month. So I'm kind of hoping to steal like two weeks in Rome. I haven't been there in like 10 years. And I really bring back that scooter. Maybe. <laughs> they're going to exhibit it there because, you know, you can get it from Tuscany to Rome and just, like let people see it. I'm sure there's a way there's somebody there that oh, you can go. I should actually ask and see if they'll let me drive it from Tuscany to Rome. <laughs> You're like, you won't <laughs> ship it back to my country, but can I spend a month and a half driving it? I'll get there in August and just fucking drive for six weeks. That would be like dumb and dumber. No, that would be fucking awesome <laughs> be and awesome. Man, see me driving that thing across the Italian countryside with like a little bed in the back. Oh, dude, that'd, that'd be, be so fucking cool. incredible. Uh, yeah. So Shanghai next month. Rome in September, and then I'll spend the entire rest of the year. I started it already, but I have a show here in December um, at the Hashimoto Gallery on Sutter, I believe, owned by my friend Ken. And I am, whenever I do shows here, which is only every five years or so, I try to do something about here. But man, I mean, about here right now is pretty intense. Uh, you know, I feel like abandoned ship is a fair description. Like I'll just draw San Francisco as a big boat with everybody being mad and jumping off and leaving. <laughs> just everybody with like their life on the back of a hobo stick showing up to do drugs. Like <laughs> oh my God. Current fucking San Francisco <laughs> painting. No, I'm not going to draw that. I'm actually trying to avoid doing anything negative for this show. Um, but yeah, that's what I'll spend the bulk of the year working on. And if you live here, uh, please remember that in December, I'm going to do a series of events around this show, including the opening and maybe an open studio in this building where I'm working now, if I still have it. But yeah, um, spending the summer when I'm not traveling, really thinking deeply about our city and about the changes it's going through and trying to find positive ways to depict that in a timeless way. You know, I don't want to make work that makes people sad or reminds them of how fast and how intense changes here i want to find a way to celebrate it and have it be things people would like to take home and have in their life to remind them of you know weathering the storm that we're living through at the moment you know and all the positive things that are going on here because it's far too easy to dwell on the negative and i've sacrificed a lot in the last year to be here still and uh i don't i'm the guy in conversation when people start bitching where i'm like yeah but you know it could always be worse and you know there's always a way to like I constantly try and flip it back to being the positive glass half full dude. But if it doesn't work, I'm always just like, man, get the fuck out of here. You know what I mean? Like if you hate it that much and you're that mad about all this change, pack up and make room. You know what I mean? Give somebody your apartment because you're not into it. Like to stay here and bitch about it is absolutely asinine. To pay that much money and that much sacrifice and this much heartbreak to be in San Francisco man if you want to complain about it get the fuck out yeah i just saw a preview for a new film uh it's called the last black man in san yeah, francisco I and i haven't had a chance to go see the film i'm really looking forward to it but there was a great scene where he's sitting on the bus and these these two young ladies sitting behind him bitching saying how much they hate the city and that the, the, the scene was really for me pretty powerful he turns around and he's like you can't hate this city you have to love it first before you're allowed to hate it uh yeah, I haven't seen it yet because all of my friends that have told me they cried and they're all tougher dudes than me. And so I was like, oh, fuck, like every tough dude I know that's seen it cried. Shit, I'm going to cry through the whole thing. I think it's really and I'm pretty. Uh, I was pretty nervous from the minute I saw the previews because it's such a volatile topic. 
And like I said, I, I really, over the last year, I lost one of the most important relationships in my life, mostly because we would argue about living here. And I mean, a long list of reasons, but that was at the top of them. And so to be here now for me is like really extra tough because I like fought and screamed and claimed and defended. And well, now I'm out here by myself watching all this stuff still close. And it's just incredibly sad on top of the fact that 25 years after I moved here, this is not what I would have imagined happening. And I do think that, you know, without even seeing the film, I think the key to being here right now is not only maintaining a positive attitude for yourself to try and keep a level head and make sense out of all the, the things you, you deal with in living here, but to maintain a positive outlook to keep the people around you from being so dark and negative about it. Like, it is a crazy place right now. It is going through a huge, huge, huge change. But, you know, there was that article in the Washington Post a few weeks ago or a month ago that was like, San Francisco has lost its soul. Oh, yeah. People. And then there was the rebuttal that was like, you're a fucking ding dong. Like, look at history. It's been going on like this forever here. And this is just a really dramatic one. But it's no different than these 15 times throughout the city's history. Here they are itemized and described vividly. Like, you can't really argue with the follow up article. I appreciate that the person who wrote the first one was grumpy, that they had a bad time here. And that's fine. But like the guy there, I don't remember if it was a male or female, right? But the person who followed that up with like it 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 is just a transitional phase and it sucks to be here during that like if you just moved here in the last five years you saw a pretty fucking crazy san francisco but you know what every fucking san francisco's five years throughout the fucking history of the city and i can't speak on it for sure because i haven't lived here that long but like in the 25 years that i've seen it every five years was a crazy fucking time there wasn't one where it was like oh that was a boring five years like it's only seven miles across dude it's the most expensive city in the country. Do some fucking math. That's like the most pus filled pimple on earth with 4,000 fingers trying to pop it. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Jeremy, I mean, that visual is horrifying. Yeah, no. but that's how it feels. No, I agree. Like I sometimes agree. the financial pressure of how much change this place is going through architecturally, culturally, the faces of it, the money behind it is just so intimidating that it feels like a boil. Like it just feels like there's so much pressure to be here and to to try and stay positive about it that like yeah that's my be all and end all for the rest of the summer and the rest of the year is try and find a voice that is casually addressing all these issues and figure out a way to depict it in a way that's not incredibly negative and sad because it's pretty much all anybody wants to do yeah we can all complain about everything but complaints don't change anything no way doing and living and pushing and and I think that's that's really really a good way to look at it. I think when drawing people, happy pictures about it isn't going to fix shit. So I'll do what I can minimally <clears throat> to just keep people. But positive. that makes people, it inspires people to be positive. I hope that's like I said. The takeaway from this is every interview or every conversation I'll have about it, whether I'm successful or not, I'm trying to figure out a way to generate work that maintains a positive attitude about what's happening here. That's easier awesome. said than done. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Jeremy, thank you. I know you're uh, you're really busy. I'm sitting here looking at you with like five different drawings which you're working on and giant painting in your in your studio here. And uh, I really appreciate you taking time. My pleasure, dude. Thanks for coming and uh, thanks for running a successful business, our city, and giving a shit about it. You know, I'm like not throwing in the towel because there's a guy jerking off in your window at customers. <laughs> like, you know, it's not uh, it's not going to get any better here if we all just fucking give up and walk away. No, it's not. And so for those of you out there who want to see more about Jeremy, there'll be a link uh, on the post up, but you can check out the website, Silly Pink Bunnies. There's also a, a more information inside my cookbook, which Jeremy did all the artwork in. And uh, just a quick mention here, Upper Playground, huge year this year, right? How many? It's 20th anniversary, 20th anniversary. of uh, one of the coolest underground garment brands in San Francisco and someone that culturally ran a really important art gallery here at the dawn of this scene and uh, just some guys that have tried to keep the lower hate alive and have uh, been fucking with me for the better part of the last two decades. So shout out to the gentlemen at Upper Playground and congratulations on your 20 year anniversary. If you're ever in the lower hate, stop by and pick up a shirt. They're doing great stuff. They've always had my back from the first day I stepped on television to do uh, 
Iron Chef America, I was wearing the barbecue shoes on on the show. So uh, shout out to those guys at Upper Playground. And again, thank you, Jeremy, for taking time out of your day. And uh, make sure everybody go take a look at Silly Pink Bunnies. Support, you know, your local artists and uh, support Jeremy and what he's doing. He's doing some great stuff here and there's a lot more stuff to come. Cheers. Cheers.